You've tuned into the Archivos Podcast Network. <laughs> Hang on, podcast? Let me, let me what, is, podcast. what is a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> it's where you have a lot of cats that are in pods. <laughs> okay, podcast. Gotcha. Not like robot cat, totally different. Podcast. This is Alien, my friend. <laughs> uh, take two. <laughs> Wonder Things Studios proudly presents Archivos Brainstorms. Episode 117. You've tuned in to the Archivos Podcast Network. I'm Marie Bellado. And I'm Dave Robison. And you're listening to Archivos Brainstorms. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> on Archivos Brainstorms, we invite writers to come onto the show to pitch a story idea to us and our esteemed guest host. And then we examine the scene of the crime, looking for the clues and details that will lead our sleuthing down the correct path to discover the perhaps not so deeply guarded secrets and lairs of those who create literary gold. Literary gold. Ooh, I do love your metaphors, Miss Billado. Well done, <laughs> madam. <laughs> <laughs> Good to see you again, Mr. Robison. Oh, lovely to see, see, and again, of course, see in heavy air quotes, since both of us are just staring at our computer screen. But we're in each other's heads. We're listening on the ears, and that counts, too. That totally counts, too. Ah, very cool. Well, look, um, it is a delight to see you, uh, uh, but let us continue and sustain that delight even further and welcome our guest host back onto the show. Dear friends, fresh from a marvelous and invigorating uh, uh, 20 minutes of, 20-ish minutes of conversation uh, during the Archivos Insights. Dear friends, please welcome back to the Archivos Podcast Network Studios, Seth Skorkowski. Seth, uh, it, that was a fabulous conversation. It's always a delight to to rediscover the, the, the wonder and, and intrigue that you bring to your craft, and I'm Totally pumped at the prospect of brainstorming a story with you, man. Thank you so much for making the time. Oh, no. Thank you for having me. This this is the fun part. I like yeah. this. <laughs> We're all rubbing our hands like evil supervillains at this point saying, yes, bring it. Well, look, before we dive into that, albeit awesome, part of the show, just very quickly, Seth, you've, you've had uh, a, a remarkable uh, couple of years as series are launched and, and new ideas and new inspirations come out. You've broken into multiple media with, with audiobooks and your YouTube channel. So I'm really curious, man, what is coming up in the world of Seth Skorkowski? Well, um, my my next release will be my fourth Valdekid novel, Redemptor. That'll be coming out this uh, January as an Audible original production. And then in uh, the meantime, I'm, I'm plugging through this YouTube channel that has uh, been getting a lot of momentum. And yeah. uh, it's been getting me a lot of uh, exposure. I think originally I decided I was going to try to get my name out there through something, and I ended up choosing YouTube, and it's finally paying off, and it's really it's really fun and exciting. Uh, so, and then in the meantime, I'm just kind of working on new stories and you know trying to trying to get more of them out there. Okay, uh, uh, Ashes of Onyx. That is well. It's currently going through the query process, which uh. is the, the brutal gauntlet. So. You know, hopefully, in you know some short amount of time, I can I can have an agent that looks at that and goes, "Hell yes," and, and grabs it. <laughs> yeah. Until then, it's it's mostly me at the uh, the singles bar, kind of kind of winking. <laughs> you know, like, hey, hey, baby, you want to see my manuscript? So. <laughs> Never awkward. <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. Oh, okay. Well, what about uh, conventions? I know uh, FenCon is always on your radar. Other conventions where folks might bump into you at? Uh, my next one that is scheduled will be Con DFW this February, I believe. Um, this uh, 2017 was my biggest convention year. I'm going to be kind of kicking it off, so I'm sending out the the applications. I will try to break out of Texas this year. That is my big goal to uh, 
make it to uh, uh, Dragon Con and Gen Con are the are the two that my sights are really setting on. So hopefully they will say, you know what, we will actually take you as somebody that we will allow to speak to people versus just you know <laughs> go through the throngs yeah. of the the normal customers because. I, I enjoy presenting. So it, can, it gives me an edge over most of the authors as I am absolutely comfortable speaking in public. Sure. And it's, I it's, take advantage of that. It's, it's that <laughs> Renaissance Fair uh, background uh, that uh, that is serving you so very well. Well, my, my dad forced me into debate when I was in high school. And right. so I had, to, I had to do public speaking. I, I broke me of any shyness in that regard. Uh, <laughs> I didn't like it at the time, but I'm now eternally grateful for it. Yeah, we we can all you know. I I got a theater degree. I think I've been paid twice as an actor. But man, you use those skills every single day. Oh yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, awesome. Well, Seth, I will make sure all of that goodness gets into the liner notes uh, for the episode, so people can make with the clicky click. Marie, it's been a while, ma'am. What's coming up in your world? Uh, you know, it's been, I'm in full out drafting mode right now. Uh, so it's been a little bit quiet. My next con is confusion. 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 Detroit. So I'm going there in January. And what then- an unusual uh, coincidence. I'm going to be going there too. You're kidding. I know, right? Holy crap. How, How did that, that happen? even happen? We might have to do a live broadcast of the Archivos Podcast Network there at Confusion. That would be awesome. That would be totally awesome. We will have to scheme, my friend. Yeah, I like it. I like it. <laughs> what else is on your radar for conventions? For conventions right now, uh, not a heck of a lot, I have to be honest. I am currently busy setting up my storytelling schedule for next year, speaking ah, of performance. So very good. all of my sites are focused on that. Um, so I'll have some fun announcements to do soon, but I, I do have a fun little announcement if I, if I can share, which which you saw on Facebook and you shared on the article. Yes, podcast. please awesome. do, please do. But, um, <laughs> so I've been a fangirl of doll books since I was wee little Marie, which was, you know, teenager in my case when I... I actually could read some English, more or less. And, uh, you know, the old yellow doll books and all that. Absolutely adore them. And I managed to sell uh, my first short story to Doss. So I'm going to be in a doll anthology by Julie Chernera, set in her trade pack universe called The Plexus Tells of Plexus. So I am extremely excited. I signed my contract with doll books. Oh my God. You are, you are just, you just keep getting more and more legit. You know, I mean, <laughs> you were legit when you published your first novel novel your second novel your third novel and now now you're going in now you're coming into daw books you know next is going to be tour.com you know you're going to you're going to be you're going to be all over the place this is huge marie congratulations that is so awesome thank you so much i, I giggled i giggled a lot when i was signing <laughs> that's wonderful news and, I, and everybody i'm sure joins me in congratulating you and when when can we expect to see this this marvelous creation in the world it is out in December of 2018, so not for another year. And But my story, and it's a lot of fun, it's a story that Julie Trinata called Sweet, which I think is the first time one of my stories was called Sweet, and wow. I'm very proud of that. And it's called The Elaborate Scheme, Ooh. because it is elaborate. <laughs> I was going to say, that sounds very much like you. Sweet? You know, there are a lot of things that we, we often describe you as, Marie. Sweet? While there is sweetness in you, that's not the first one that comes up. I'm sorry. I know, isn't it great though? Like I've breached new barriers, broken new grounds here. I Indeed. am growing up in the world, my friend. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. <laughs> well, that all goes into the liner notes because uh, uh, people got to be made aware of that. That's fabulous. All right. So here's what I'd like to do now. I'd like to take a pause, uh, uh, give some give some airtime to Archivos, the story development and presentation tool, who is our sponsor for here at the Archivos Podcast Yay. Network. Yay! Uh, uh, and when we come back, Seth, Marie, I would love to brainstorm a story with you. What do you say? absolutely oh yeah (laughs) it's kind of why we're here right let's do this thing (laughs) friends don't you go anywhere we'll be right back you've been hearing us talk a lot about archivos how it helps you document and organize your story worlds and illuminate them like no other story development tool can i mean really it's like a gift 
to writers, a, a lovely storytelling present all wrapped up in a bow and ready for you to tear into like an eager five-year-old. Well, with the holiday season upon us, we got to thinking, and we decided that we should make Archivos even more of a gift. So, from now until January 1st, we're extending a 25% discount on Storyteller subscriptions to all our storytelling family. Just go to app.archivos.digital and sign up for a one-year Storyteller subscription. And at the payment window, enter the code HOLIDAYARCHIVOS2017. All one word, all lowercase, except for the numbers. Because they're numbers and, and you, you can't. Anyway, that's Holiday Archivos 2017 to get 25% off a storyteller subscription to one of the coolest story development apps on the internet. And may the holiday season bring you closer to the people you love, introduce you to new friends, and give you many reasons to smile. Welcome back, dear friends, and now we get down to the business at hand. The reason why you're here, certainly, and I can pretty much guarantee the reason why we're here. The story brainstorm. And that does not happen without a bold and courageous, a creative and courageous guest writer striding boldly forth to set the table for our brainstorming feast. And friends, our guest writer for this episode of Archivos Brainstorms is a Southern Californian living in the land of the morning calm, also known as South Korea, which is really just a marvel of technology that we can have a gentleman currently sitting in Seoul, Korea, joining us on the Skype line. He is an English teacher who spends his time writing about criminals and screw-ups trying to survive in this mad, mad world. And to that end, he's had two stories published in online e-zines. The first, Three for One, was published in Pulp Metal Magazine in 2016. And the other is Never a Chance, published in Shotgun Honey Magazine in 2017. And now he's here on the APN to brainstorm another tale of pulpy noir goodness. Dear friends, please welcome to the slightly less comfortable writer's chair here at the Archivos Podcast Virtual Studios, Sean O'Grady. Sean, dude, I, you know, it just feels like you've come a long way. Even though I know you've just been sitting there, the fact that your digital signal has traveled thousands of miles to reach us here is is truly impressive. And I know it's never easy to put your baby up for scrutiny like we ask you to here on, on the Archivos Podcast Network. So, dude, thank you so very much. No, I, I appreciate it. And please take the baby, batter it all you want, because it's the only way it's going to get stronger. <laughs> uh, see, now that's a professional attitude right there. I like that. I like that. Just real quick, Sean, what are you doing in, in as a Californian in, in Seoul, Korea? Um, just um, English teaching. So I teach at a private academy here. I used to teach at a elementary school before, a, a public school for about three years, but now it's just in the private sector. So when the kids finish school, you know, their parents are either still working or something else. So they feel that the kids need more English and that's when I step in. Awesome. Very cool. Very good. That sounds like that sounds like career progress there from elementary school to the private sector. Well done, sir. Well done. Oh, thanks. <laughs> so let's dive into this, man. Let's let's. I'm, we're we're keen to hear the story. Uh, you know how this works, Sean. We give you five to eight minutes. Uh, introduce. Give us the, the title and the genre, the format, your target audience. Give us a tagline. Uh, introduce us to the themes of the story in the world. Uh, tell us about the characters, and then give us the the tent poles of the story you want to tell. And and that is that'll send us off to the races, man. Uh, I'm gonna get out of the way, Sean. The mic is all yours, sir. Okay. Uh, title and genre, a pulp noir story called Blessed Child. The format is a novel or novella. Target audience is clearly adults for this one. Uh, the hook, private detective must find a district attorney's missing daughter before she vanishes into sexual slavery and solve a blackmailing scheme that threatens the DA's position. 
the theme, there are two themes in this story, uh, wages of sin and the impact of double lives. The world, different than what your readers are, or your listeners are mostly used to, is just present-day San Diego. The characters, the main protagonist is Shinobu Callahan, Japanese-American woman in her early 30s. She is a private detective known for her dogged determination and ability to find those that don't want to be found. However, she is distant, keeps to herself, and lacks a private life. She has issues with anger control and, if not checked, might result in her becoming violent towards others, much like her own father. This has negatively affected her career as a police officer. In the beginning of the story, Shinobu lives a solitary life and rarely speaks to anyone, especially her father, an imprisoned former cop and mob enforcer. Shinobu views people as a means to an end. Through the course of the story, Shinobu will slowly begin to see the humanity in a person who leads a double life and that past events or actions must be confronted. The primary antagonist is Joseph Pynchon, head of Liberty Construction, an effective businessman that has crushed other competition. He also has considerable political clout from many campaign donations made through the years. However, Joseph suffers, like most businessmen, from hubris. He believes that he can get away with anything so long as he has money. The world does not tell him what to do. He is, as Tom Wolfe will call him, a master of the universe. Story. Shinobu is approached by the San Diego police about the disappearance of the DA's daughter. The DA has also received a few blackmail letters and photos involving her daughter in uncompromising positions with older men. Interviewing the girl's close friends at school, Shinobu gets a picture of a girl with a double life. One life is academic excellence and a stand-up daughter. The other life is a girl involved in drugs and sexual escapades. The friends say the girl mentioned being with a man who frequents a club downtown. Shinobu goes to the club later and meets him. She pressures the man violently, and he spills the details of his past relationship with the daughter. However, he hadn't had any contact with her for a few months. The only clue a dead end, Shinobu begins to believe that the daughter is gone and could be anywhere. An unrelated missing persons case for a loan shark takes Shinobu to a gambling den looking for a gambler that's trying to escape paying his debts. Speaking to one of the regulars, Shinobu learns the gambler brought a young girl into the gambling den one time. Shinobu shows the photo of the missing daughter, but the regular can't recall if that is really the girl or not. Shinobu eventually finds the gambler in a motel room. However, he is dead and his room trashed. Shinobu finds a memory card from a video camera and leaves. Shifting through the contents, she discovers videos and photos of the daughter with older men. Shinobu later discovers that the gambler is involved in recording and selling videos like this to wealthy private collectors. Shinobu assumes the gambler was the blackmailer who sent the letters and photos to the DA. Both cases appear to be closed, but with less than satisfactory results. Soon, the man from the club confronts Shinobu and assaults her, demanding that she give the video memory card back. The man is confronted by a mysterious stranger who shoots him dead. Shinobu escapes from the mystery stranger, remembering he spoke with an Eastern European accent. Another blackmail letter arrives for the DA with instructions for where the payoff is supposed to be. Shinobu agrees to be the one to meet the blackmailer. At a park, Shinobu discovers the blackmailer is the regular she met at the gambling den earlier. Savagely beating the man, the regular says the gambler and the girl were working with the man from the club on a blackmailing scheme against several wealthy clients. The regular had no idea the gambler was dead and the girl was missing until now. He discloses blackmail attempts were made on DA and a man named Joseph Pynchon. Shinobu decides to get Joseph to talk. She mails a memory card along with a note. Joseph calls Shinobu and arranges a meeting at his home. When Shinobu arrives, she is held at gunpoint by the stranger that murdered the man from the club earlier. Joseph says that he had both the gambler and the club man killed, but at the behest of the DA to cover up the daughter's actions that risk her political standing. Joseph plans on selling the daughter to a Russian sex trafficking ring. Shinobu, the stranger, and Joseph get into a shootout, with Shinobu wounded, but alive, and the others dead. Having been told about the daughter's whereabouts at a harbor warehouse by Joseph before he dies, 
Shinobu races to rescue the girl. Shinobu rescues the girl. However, the daughter says she planned the blackmailing scheme all along as revenge against her mother, the DA, because of the constant and abusive pressure to be good and perform well, and the DA's refusal to go after Joseph and others that raped her at an election campaign event years before. The daughter, not wanting to go back, decides to take her own life. Shinobu confronts the DA about her behavior towards her own daughter and listens as the DA tries to rationalize her own behavior and call her daughter a degenerate. Shinobu leaves in disgust and anonymously sends a copy of the videos and photo from the memory card to the newspaper in hopes of taking the DA down. The end. And that's it. All right. Excellent. Wow, there's a lot going on there, dude. We, there, there may be some questions, um, but uh, excellent pitch. Well done, sir. Uh, and well within time, too. Nicely, nicely done. What are you hoping to get out of the next half hour, 45 minutes of, of, of brainstorming, Sean? Improvements in terms of the story, any plot holes, maybe the twist or events in the story could maybe change because the story seems a little it's it's a pretty rough story and i'm just kind of looking for just like overall improvements on how to make the mystery more mysterious if there's problems with character motivation or plot holes things like that okay all right no and this is this is the perfect time to bring a story into a brainstorm environment so so well done you sir excellent all right Let's get into this, but before we do, we really need to kind of make sure we're all protected and covered, uh, as it were, um, and because and it's about to get weird. Marie, would you be so kind as to cover our butts, please? I always do enjoy covering our butts, I must say. <laughs> so, Sean, my friend, you're about to experience a veritable deluge of ideas, insights, and inspiration. It's important you realize that everything said from this point forward by myself, by Dave, or by Seth himself, might be complete fushadoodle hornswaggle. <laughs> <laughs> You should doodle horn swaggle. All righty then. Horn swaggle, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> this is your story, Sean, and you decide what to use and what to cast out. You got that? Oh, sure. Oh, Good, sure. <laughs> you should doodle horn swaggle. Uh, the visions, the imagery. Excellent. Okay, we're covered. Uh, Sean's down. We're down. Let's get into this thing. We always start with a quick once around the table uh, to give everybody a chance to, to give their first impressions of the pitch and also to, to ask any questions of clarification to help make sure that we're all on the same page. We always lead with our guest host. So, Seth, if you would, lead us off, man. What are your first impressions of Sean's story and what questions of clarification would you like to ask? Okay. Um, well, I, I love a good, good gritty crime story. So I, I'm really happy with this one. <laughs> I, I, I love, I love this type of thing. I love uh, detective stories. So I am, I am down. Um, now, Sean, you said that the theme of it is uh, sin and the impact of double lives. Uh, does our heroine have a double life in this, or is it only with the other characters? Um, it's more with the other characters. She herself, Shinobu, doesn't herself have a private life, but in the story, her own father was the one that had a double life. One life as a decorated police officer who she emulated and wanted to follow, but then discovers, oh, he was this mob enforcer and mole and police and generally not a very nice guy <laughs> and and she was also a police officer once yeah she was and part of her getting drubbed out was her kind of violent behavior towards other criminals that she gets and when the news broke about her own father that kind of drove her out as well <laughs> and then uh my, my next question at, at what point in the story do we introduce the villain even if we don't know he's the villain? Oh, that probably somewhere maybe in the middle of the story. Okay. It's kind of like pushed off to the to the background. It's kind of like one of those villains that you don't know about or hear about yet until kind of a little bit into the story. Okay. 
Okay, well, I have some more questions, but I will I will pass it along and then kind of fill this stuff in because they might ask the same thing. Okay, we, we, we will move on then to Marie. Marie, your, your first impressions, ma'am, and, and any questions that you have for Sean? Of course. Uh, first of all, I love a good noir. Uh, it's, it's got a good vibe to it. It's kind of like a bit Jessica Jones without the superpowers, so I like, uh, I like Shinobu's vibe as a whole. I had a few questions uh, and then a few things I'm looking forward to seeing where the conversation will take us. Uh, one of my first questions that popped into mind is why would the police bring her in at all? Yeah, that I have read. I've read some articles before, some stories where police have hired private detectives to kind of help with um, missing persons cases before. And in the story, uh, Shinobu has a connection with she has like a professional friendship with a detective in the missing persons division of the San Diego police. And they kind of help her out with some cases now and then she's kind of built up this reputation of, Oh, she can find people and we don't have many detectives because we don't have that much money. So. Right. I, I, totally cool. Uh, I don't think we're going to linger on this, but just something for you to keep in mind is if uh, I was a police anybody and the mm-hmm. da was the one who was being blackmailed i probably wouldn't outsource it so i think you're gonna have to strengthen that a bit to convince us that this yeah. would be the case they'd outsource so just something for you to consider and we can always try to punch it up uh, now i had some questions regarding i i'm liking where seth is thinking with where he's kind of heading with the, the villain and the antagonist but i want to talk a bit about the daughter um, how old is the daughter she's maybe about 16 17 years old so late high school age okay perfect um and does she have a name grace that's her name (laughs) perfect thank you one of the things that i don't know where my compatriots are going to take us but if we don't discuss it at all um i because I'm, I'm the sole woman on this chat and there's a lot of female characters uh, i want to push that a little bit more so i'm hoping that we head a little bit into that because i have some concerns with some of the way that the characters are framed which is they're interesting i'm not saying you didn't do a good job but they are a tiny bit cliched and i think i think you'd have a lot of potential to make this really 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 awesome it's already awesome let's make it really awesome can you give so us just a, a, a quick overview just a quick yeah. uh, facet of each of those yeah, definitely. With Shinobu, it's the daddy-daughter issues. It's one of the most typical things used, uh, especially in protagonist female characters. It's like the inability for, uh, and this is just, I'm just projecting here, but I always feel personally, it's the inability of male characters to imagine a woman would have any motivation that does not stem from a male in their lives. Um, so that's something that is super cliched. If you look at most female characters out there, they have a daddy-daughter issue of some sort. And then the daughter herself self as a victim, a victim who rebels, and then a victim who cannot pull herself out of her tailspin. That's also very uh, cliched, and it, it's meant to be dark and to make us reflect on it, but it's it's been overdone so much, especially with female characters, that it, it comes off as just, well, of course she kills herself. So, it, whereas she could be the villain type of thing, right? I mean, I think that there's she, the daughter could do so much more than just I can't. It's like the end of uh, spoiler alert. If you haven't seen this, so sad. But it's like the end of Star Wars Episode Three, which I will never speak of again. But when Padme loses the will to live, you know, it, it's that feeling. It's like, well, she can't go on. Like she's she's lost her her main thing. And it's that cliche that comes to mind to me. And mm-hmm. so I've got cliche alerts going off. Easy, easy to fix though, in my mind. Agree. Is that perfect? Absolutely. Anything else? No, I think I've rambled on uh, more, more than enough right now. Thank you, though. <laughs> no, well, I, and I, I I always have this coveted last position here uh, uh, because then I get to affirm uh, both Seth and Marie's observations. Um, I am intrigued by Shinobu is, a, is, is, I like the way she moves through the story. I just, I don't get a sense for why she cares, why she's still doing this. Uh, uh, the, you know, is it just because, you know, as a detective, she can still beat the crap out of people uh, and, and have, you know, legitimacy in doing so? Why, what is Shinobu's reason for, for being a detective, Sean? I think from what I remember from my, my character notes that I have here is, for her, she thinks that this is the only thing that she's good at. 
Um, is she right? Kind of, well, in a way, I guess so. Like she, you know, she grew up with a police father. She kind of absorbed that world and being a, being an officer before she felt like this is like the job I'm competent in that I feel comfortable in. Um, this is maybe the thing that I'm made for in life. And I just can't abandon it. Okay. So there's no sense of, of justice of doing right of, of making the world a better place. I think she had that before in the beginning, but then I guess, and I guess this is going to go into a, another cliched area with the daddy daughter issue is when he is revealed to not be the best that he was, that shatters the whole thing. She used to have that sense of justice as a police officer. But when, when the father had his fall, that kind of took away the whole justice aspect. And now this is just powering on. This is my job. You know, I, can't fall back on anything else. This is what I know. I'm, she's trapped. This like, is anger, rage, and I'm I'm trapped against a wall. Pretty much, yeah. That's dark. That's dark. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Um, another question is: Is Joseph Pinchon a sociopath? Does he feel empathy for anyone? Nope. No, okay. I guess you can call him a sociopath. <laughs> I, I I would kind of uh, just like to introduce that possibility in in your description of him. That was the impression that I got. Uh, and and that's kind of the the idea of sociopath sent a chill up my spine, uh, uh, and that might just I want to toss that out there. Um, Seth, I will defer to your knowledge and awareness of of pulp acceptabilities, but having an unrelated case suddenly tie in to the main case that we've started off the story that seems awfully convenient is it or is that just something that happens in 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 pulp uh, well that's something that that's something that just happens a lot the, the trick is to to kind of make it feel natural okay uh, but when you look at when you look at crime fiction they do it all the time it's just it somehow has to look like it wasn't uh you know like like if that was just that's of course that's how it happened okay um now now, one question I, I do also have, Sean, just due to some hard lessons I learned in my own writing. Um, uh, does Shinobu have a confidant that she talks to? Oh, that I haven't thought about. Uh, she's pretty much like a like a loner. Her life is just the job. Um, go home. Not very close to people outside of the the um, detective and the uh, San Diego police. That's the only person who she talks to, but that's not even a close relationship in and of itself. <clears throat> and, and you don't have to. Uh, uh, Bond is wonderful without it. Um, Orphan X, if you ever read those, like Greg Hurwitz, I think, wrote it. He does a wonderful job where you just have a solo hero. Uh, but I was just wondering if there was a confidant that she could speak with uh, Occasionally, just to get some some dialogue during her her personal scenes. Uh, now, one thing that that Maria touched on, and I I want to I want to go back to it, even though she said it wouldn't be long. So I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> I could be wrong. I'm if, often if wrong. Our, <laughs> if if our girl is missing and she's 16 or 17, doesn't the FBI get involved at this point? Mm. Oh, good point. Oh, yeah. So I'm gonna. I'm just gonna throw these ideas out, and if you don't like them, please, for the love of God, ignore them. Um, <laughs> what if? Uh, so your 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 DA has got some sort of blackmail thing going on, and the reason that the FBI isn't involved is she hasn't told anyone about it. This is her secret because she's got some. There's a blackmail thing involved, so the police don't ask her. She she contacts uh, Shinobu herself because. She has some dirt on her, probably before she left the force. Ooh, nice! Uh, which yeah. would make a double life or a, a sin in Shinobu's own past has now come back to haunt her, and that's why she got called in on this. Is because this DA is like, "Hey, I got this dirty case," and she's like, "Look, I don't want this case." It's like, "Man, you don't do this. Remember that time that." Uh, Internal Affairs was going to bust you, and I covered your ass. Well, now it's time to pay the piper. Oh. I'm getting blackmailed. And and now, so it actually kind of begins with her own past coming back to haunt her. 
Love that. What and then if, at the end of the story, she kind of does, I don't care if my past comes back to haunt me. I'm sending this stuff off to the news because screw you, lady. You're the devil. And <laughs> she comes to grips with her own her own history. And I'm not going to try to even hide it anymore because busting you is more, is more important to me than hiding that maybe I could have somehow by accident been linked to something my dad did. You know, yeah. So some, something like that, I think, would cover the question of why are the police or the FBI not involved if it's always secret and it links to her own darkness. Um, let me let me run. I love that. I love that. Mm-hmm. Seth. Let me let me, me run with that with an alternative right now. And and again, my my instinct. I'm seeing a very dark story. There's a lot of darkness happening here. Um, and and you know that's that there is a vibe there. I'm wondering what if uh, uh, you know we can we can doesn't have to be father, but what if a family member. Uh, uh, was accused of corruption or was shamed, was never really charged with anything, but the shadowed implication of wrongdoing uh, was always there. And what if the DA offers absolute proof one way or another about that family member and, and spins it with the idea that this will exonerate them but when in point of fact, when, when she sees what she gets out of it, it actually confirms that the family member who she has always had hope for and believed in was actually just as dirty as everyone said they were, if not worse. So now, now Shinobu has hope and she has something to work for. And, and now we can bring in her family a little bit more and maybe open her up to a, a little more of a social engagement. But then at the end, it's a much more impactful and, and now it becomes a really dark story. And now Seth, she's totally motivated. It's like, yes, screw you, DA. I'm going to burn you and I am no longer <laughs> a nice person. Yeah. A thought. That's a really good thought. I, I like both of them. Both of them are actually really good. It's kind of hard to choose which one. I you want don't to have to. Now. You do not have to. And and again, <laughs> each of them has a very different feel and and affects the story in a very different way. And and Seth, I wouldn't have come up with that idea if it hadn't been for you. So it's like you know, this is brainstorming at its best. Oh yeah, that's 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 just what I love about it is one idea leads to a different one. And yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, we've kind of gotten into the brainstorm proper now, and that always kind of happens by osmosis. It's never really clear how we get into it, but I think we've gotten into it now. Seth, uh, what what else? Where where do you want to dig in as far as uh, uh, addressing something that you think needs to be smoothed out or strengthened in the story? Um, for for me, I like the idea that we introduce the villain in the first third. In, in some capacity. Okay. That way he doesn't just kind of appear. And w- one idea that I had is because uh, the villain is he's, he's, he's just a big SOB. And mm-hmm. um, what if he has an equally just deplorable son? And that is how Shinobu might know about him. Like when he, she goes to the club, be like, oh God, it's, it's that guy who's got the super <laughs> yeah, rich yeah, father. Yeah that has kind of saved his butt whenever I busted him when I was a cop and sort of deal. So it's, you, you meet the villain through reputation possibly and through the fact that he does have a deplorable family, just throwing ideas out. Sure. And yeah, Marie nailed it with the cliche thing, except yeah, I'm also going to throw it on this one. You're doing pulp noir. There is a thing about just embracing the cliches. Mm-hmm. But it needs to be an intentional thing. So now that she's pointed out, if you're like, now I want to do it, grab it and run. Because that's, <laughs> that's what will make pulp. So if, if so, make sure that any of those cliches that you're hitting are definite decisions of, nope, this is what I'm going to do. Because the, the truth is, people that like that type of story also love those cliches. But you don't want somebody to point those out later and you'd be like, ah, oh, damn it, and think about it. You need to, be, you need to own those. So, yeah. so think about it, but cliche is not a bad word if you're doing 
pulp noir. Mm-hmm. And you can play with the cliches as well by playing on uh, your readers' expectations because they'll know the cliches. Ooh, so you yeah. can add some twists that they won't necessarily see coming, which play off of the cliches as well, which could be a lot of fun. Keep them on the edge of their seat. Oh, okay. I like yeah, that. I like it. Um, but I'm kind of saying, like, how can you, if you grab the pulp, like structure and the cliches and you just kind of ride with it is there like any, i'm trying to figure out like some way that kind of like twist those cliches a little bit because i've seen I've, I've read enough stories where i kind of seen like uh, all these cliches and then the twist then becomes its own kind of cliche as well so <laughs> well i mean if i can start off i think you've already Please. got some of the twists in there kind of that are our work itself like like the daughter was one of the characters that i think you could push further because if you want to push beyond those cliches a little bit um and make her a more invigorating character she could actually not just be the victim but you've already hinted that she's part of the blackmail but it seems like a throwaway idea after everything's happened so there's no more position of power but she could actually be controlling in some way joseph himself and he might not even be aware of it and it's part of the turn it's like oh he's just this hubris businessman but look he's actually being controlled without noticing it and then it could turn your villain on his head a little bit too doesn't make him good he can still be a jackass that's totally cool but then he's he's something's happened that he suddenly doesn't expect and he becomes a bit unpredictable because then your your readers are like "Ooh, where are we going with this now and that keeps them flipping the page it's an idea are you I suggesting? Thought. Are you suggesting that Grace is is manipulating uh, Pinchon? She? Why not? Why? I like it. I, no, I, I like it, it a lot. <laughs> I, I like the idea that that, that Grace is as blackmailing him into blackmailing the mom. The mom is blackmailing Shinobu <laughs> into doing like, you know, because that's that's fun. <laughs> it is, eh? <laughs> Because the only person on this that's not getting blackmailed is ultimately the villain. That's Grace. Yeah. That's true. So she's ultimately the villain and the victim at the same time. Which makes her a more in-depth character and a more interesting character, too, I find. And well, much and more tragic when she kills herself. Yeah. You can even have one of those, you know, pulpy twists, too, where it's like, did she actually kill herself? Or is she manipulating that situation, too? Like, is it actually clear? Because that's, that's very pulp as well, right? Like, you know, there might be a sequel or the publisher might not give me sure. another book. Well, let's <laughs> Mysterious death. There is no body. She, she could have escaped. Sure. I would love... I, I love that idea. And I would love to have this, this ongoing revelation of grace. And, you know, if, if we go with the idea of Shinobu's questioning about this family member who she believes is, is virtuous, uh, uh, she could project a lot of those qualities onto Grace. And as she discovers and explores Grace uh, uh, and her, her personality more and more, discovering a factoid that could be interpreted one of two ways, but because of her associating grace with a family member she misses the clue and being able at the end of the story to go back and check off check off you saw this this is what was going on you saw this this is what was going on check 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 and discovering that the the line between light and shadow uh, uh is a very very fine light indeed but th- just that revelation of grace as a personality on through the, the the first and second and into the third acts before we actually see her, uh, I, I think that would be fascinating. I was I was even thinking of suggesting perhaps even a romantic uh, infatuation on Shinobu's part uh, uh, of Grace or some sort of admiration or even envy of of the freedom and the delight that she 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 embraces her life with. I don't know. Well, even in a way, they do mirror each other to a certain degree because they're both trying to break out of the mold of their families. Right. They, they both have that in common. So there could be some mirroring effect here that Shinobi, Shinobu might be aware of, I even like if that. Grace isn't. Or, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that adds a little depth. And like you say, some mirroring, which, which I think sus- gives strength and, and structure to the narrative a little bit more. Cause really at this point it's, it's a sequence of events. It's a, it's a, it's a revelation of information, which is awesome and fun. And you know, there's going to be great characters and snappy dialogue, 
but I'm not feeling initially I wasn't feeling a specific emotional uh, escalation of stakes uh, of of ticking clocks of of compelling urgency to to figure out what's going on and now this is starting this is starting to have a lot more juicy bits that are that are engaging me I'm liking this yeah Seth what, what I, uh, else what else do you want to dive into on this well I I liked where you were going. I, I like that she's projecting herself onto Grace. Okay. Uh, so as you see, this is a girl that is wonderful at academics. Blah blah blah. Uh, she could be in. She could be doing all the stuff that Grace did when she was that age. And she is. Oh yeah. Kind of. She's trying to basically say, "This is this version of me, and I can save her, and somehow that will, you know, it's it's almost like myself." So she does kind of make this girl kind of in her brain as being this this saint this this me in a form in a different life that i could save and then at the end she's just this this evil little monster <laughs> um, yeah well and, and, and if yeah. we did that then and if we go with the the here's the information that will answer the questions that you have about your your family member who may or may not be corrupt once she discovers the grace is this beast i could totally see her just setting that file folder on fire and saying i don't care I don't want to know because I discovered, you know, well, no, that might actually send a very strong opposite message for a detective. A detective needs to want to know. That won't work. But still, yes, I agree with you. It's just having the double hit at the end uh, uh, of not only is this person grace a beast, but also your your relative is also a, a scumbag. It's like, wow, that would knock Shinobu for a loop. Yeah, and the, uh, the idea that if if you have it where Shinobu, at the end when she decides to send everything off to the DA, is basically the one saying, out of all these people, I'm going to be the only one that does the right thing. Consequences on myself be damned. I will break this cycle. Because nice. everybody else was trying to hide the secret. So she. So if you do, like I said, the blackmail idea that's, that she's doing this because she's trying to keep something kind of hidden. She's like, you know what? No, uh, because this all these people that are supposed to be good and everybody thinks they're good and this girl that I thought was supposed to be this perfect version, younger version of me, you know, they were all just twisted. I'm I'm going to be the one that breaks this cycle, even if it comes back on me. I like uh, that. Yeah. That that gets almost like this dark nobility around Shinobu and her choices that makes her a legitimate hero. I like that a lot. Yeah, me too. It, it gives her a complexity of character as well and, and a growth that's, you know, in, in Pulp, like you mentioned earlier, uh, it's not necessarily a huge character growth that you generally see, but it's there's still some kind of growth that occurs and that gives her enough that it would spark other stories as well, which is brilliant. I really like it. Yeah. Yeah. Sean, what do you think? Oh, I'm, I'm loving it. That that kind of solved some of the big problems I had in my story for almost about a year now going through this. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Mission accomplished. We're doing our job. Yay, guys. High fives. <laughs> well, look, uh, I'm, I'm looking at the clock. I'm watching it uh, uh, tick down here. I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and, and move us gracefully into that final stage of the brainstorm where we go once more around the table. Give give some some final thoughts, any ideas that you didn't get a chance to raise during the brainstorm proper uh, uh, or any just some final advice to send Sean off, fill his pockets with literary gold so he can go off and write this epic pulp tale uh this this noir uh, uh dark jewel seth sir we'll start with you uh final thoughts or considerations for sean uh well actually the the only one i have is i, I as to to revisit the idea of the confidant if you have a it doesn't have to be a best friend it could just be a neighbor it, it could it could literally be some some person that's at the quickie mart that she goes to periodically that is is a colorful character that she can talk to to get an idea even if it's very brief but you show a little bit of her world and some of the color in that world uh 
because if this is something that becomes a, a new a new adventure later on that you want to write, you can then bring back these these colorful side characters that show up, even if they're very brief ones. A new age Uber driver that gets yes. gets her where she's going. <laughs> yes, that. <laughs> I love it. That's a great idea, and and I, I I'm I'm inclined to agree. Uh, I, I I like to have. Like you said, it doesn't have to be one sounding board, but having sounding boards uh, uh, is kind of like sonar for a personality. And it gives us a chance to see reflected by her associations who this person is. So it's kind of a short end run for character development, too. That's a great idea. I love that. Marie, what about you? Final thoughts? I really like it. I think you've got something good. Uh, Don't be afraid of pushing beyond... Like use the cliches, I think, as you see fit, what you like to read in a story, but don't be afraid to push beyond them too, because I think you can have something noir and very, very in-depth, but also you can have that character development, that richness of mirroring your protagonist with your villain, those surprises of things we don't see coming and they make sense when we get to them, but they surprise us and that, that entices the reader. Don't shy away from that. Push your story. Just push that little bastard. That's, that's my thought. Push it. Push it off the cliff. Go, go, go. <laughs> till it's screaming. Till it ain't screaming. It ain't done, my friend. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. No, I, I know the heart spirit of your advice, and I agree. Push push it until it can't be pushed anymore. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> Um, for myself, Sean, uh, I, I really, I, I, I really like the stuff that that came up uh, during the course of this brainstorm. Just because uh, now I care about Shinobu, even even though I know at the end it, it ends up badly for her. I'm not a person who who dives into the the cliches. You know, I I don't disagree with the advice that was given about it, but I, that's not my style. I, I if there is a cliche there, you need to show me a different perspective, uh, a, a different per, a different view, uh, a reason why it's a trope or a cliche, uh, uh, or a different way for it to be executed uh, to give it relevance, to give it meaning. So uh, I, I, I'm kind of blending my my suggestions here. Um, I want to care about Shinobu. Uh, I want to see her grow uh, and have hope of some kind. Uh, the, the the dark, grim, I'm just plodding along here is, is going to get old, uh, I think, for the reader. And I think for you, ultimately, as a writer, I think, you know, throwing some peaks and valleys uh, and some escalating stakes is going to help move and motivate the reader to turn the page and you to go find out what's happening next and how quickly we can move to this next uh, evolution of story. So, cool. All right, here's the deal, Sean. That was awesome. Clearly, you have you have some mojo to work with. Uh, you brought some mojo. We've added more to it. To help with that, here's what we'd like to do, sir. We want to give you a full year's subscription to Archivos to help you plot and map, because mysteries especially need a, a, a little bit of documentation so you can keep track of where everybody is and what they're doing. Archivos is a great tool for that. So we're going to give you a solid year's subscription to that to help you write this story, man. That's the deal. You down with that? Oh, I'm, I'm very down with that. Thank you so much. <laughs> you betcha. Absolutely. And Seth... I know you've already got Archivos, you've already you're already playing with it, but I'm going to send you a coupon code as well. You can pass that off to somebody else uh, so that somebody else can can derive the benefits of story documentation and organization. Cool? I will, I will take it. <laughs> awesome. Excellent. Outstanding. Oh, God. Sean, thank you, man. That was a superb brainstorm. You've got an incredible story here, and, and you showed all the signs of a true professional writer uh, engaging with the brainstorm as you did, man. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much, too. Um, also, just very quickly, can I just say uh, one thing? Because my, my girlfriend, um, she's Korean, and she wants to listen to this podcast. Yeah. Um, to improve her to improve her English speaking um, and she wanted me to just give a very brief shout out to her because she asked me to, to do that is Go it possible for it, dude okay uh, so this is quickly um, to my girlfriend Cindy um, I hope you enjoy hearing me speak in my natural voice and I love you very much thanks oh <laughs> 
Oh, oh, oh. Dude, oh my, my heart is swelling. That's wonderful. It hurts, man. <laughs> Marie's not used to that. Don't be, don't be doing that stuff around Marie, Sean. That's awesome. <laughs> Seth, dude, thank you so much. When I saw Sean's story come across the wire, I said, I, I've got to try and get Seth back because I knew that this would be something that, that you could bring a lot of experience and insight to. And I was right. Uh, that was awesome, man. Thank you so much for for joining in and and bringing your A game to the brainstorm, man. That's much appreciated. Oh, no problem. I I, I love this. This is fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's let's make it less than two years before we have you back on again. Okay. Uh, I'm I'm down. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Very cool. Very cool. Marie Billado, uh, it's been far too long since we brainstormed together. That was epic, ma'am. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. That was absolutely fun. I had missed this. <laughs> indeed, indeed. And I can only imagine what our what our friends uh, feel like if we miss an episode or whatever. That must be what they feel like, that, that, that gap in their life. And friends, as long as we're doling out the gratitude, thank you for hitting the play button. Uh, without you doing that, we're just people talking on a Skype line, which is not a bad thing. Uh, <laughs> but this way, you got to catch fire to catch the spark of creative inspiration that was being bandied about in here. I heard you. I heard you shouting at your car stereo about that plot point that we missed or or that character nuance that we should have brought out. That's awesome. That means you're engaged. Your juices are flowing. Now go right. If you're digging it and you're loving it, please feel free to share it with the world. Not enough people know about the Archivos Podcast Network and its goodness. Get it out there. So, look, that was incredible. I'm sweating, which is kind of gross, but sorry, that's just the way it is around here. Um, in, in, in 14 days, it's going to take about that long for me to, to, to calm down from this, but in 14 days, we're going to do this again. We're going to bring back another guest host to pour wisdom in our ears. We're going to bring back a courageous guest writer to Pitch a brainstorm that will that will inspire and and foster all manner of creative froth. There's going to be more Archivos podcast goodness to be had, but it's going to take 14 days, and I'm sorry about that. That's just the way it is. Marie, that's a long time, man. What can they do for 14 days that's going to fill that time and be productive? Wow, 14 days. That is long. I know, right? You know, oh, I have an idea. Yeah? I. How about... I'm doing, hang on, this is this is really, okay, you're going to have to help me out because I'm not good at this. But how about for 14 days, you, all of you, not just you, Dave, okay. all of you write 300 words a day on something, whatever you want to work on. Hmm. So that means that by the time we come back, you will have... Oh, it's math. That's the problem. I know, it? right? Okay. I, I, I 4,200 words. You sure about that? No. <laughs> but 14, I sounded like I was 14 days times three. Yo, you're right. It is 4,200. Well done, yeah. you. Wow. Skills, I bring them. <laughs> <laughs> if you just take the time to write 300 words a day for the next 14 days, by the time we come back, you could have an entire short story written, my wow. friends. And that would feel damn good. That would feel good. That would feel right. awesome. Or I, I could have a very, I could have three blog posts written in two weeks' time. That would be exactly. huge. I like do that, Do the Marie. thing, my friend. I will do the do thing. Do it. I will. I will. And you two, too. Do, you two do things, friends. <laughs> Words. I use them. <laughs> and I will tell you, friends, as I always do. God, when I go off book, I'm, I'm just hosed. Uh, is that you find what you're looking for. So look for the Top Shelf Blue Label goodness. Look for the Christmas present trapped in back of the Christmas tree. And we're actually coming up on that time cycle now, so that metaphor is actually going to become very topical and relevant very shortly. Look for the wow in the world. And if you do, friends, I promise you, you will find it. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Until then, you guys stay cool, stay frothy, and stay awesome. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. This episode of Archivos Brainstorms is copyright 2017 by Wonderthink Studios and is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, Sharealike 4.0 International License. To find out what that means and how you can use this content in your own presentations, 
visit www.creativecommons.org. Theme music for this episode of Archivos Brainstorms was performed by the Hepcats of Brotown. Gary Gold, David LaBroyere, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you would like to be a guest writer or guest host, join in on the conversation, or just learn more about the Archivos Podcast Network, visit our website at www.archivos.digital and click the podcast link. That's A-R-C-H-I-V-O-S dot digital. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast and on Twitter at Writers Podcast. And you can always email us at podcast at archivos.digital. Thanks for listening.